every major sports property and not so major is trying to go direct to consumer in some way, shape or form. And that in itself is just creating all sorts of challenges because you've now got to be able to market not only your property, but you've also got to sell to them. And actually fans aren't as willing to throw money at some of these things that they were expecting. Hi everyone and welcome once again to the Sports Pro Podcast. I am your host, Owen Connolly, taking you through another weekly wrap of news from in and around the sports industry and specifically this week in and around Sports Pro Live at the Kia Oval here in London. Very excited to be back in person for this event for the first time in three years and very excited to be in person uh, for this podcast with Sports Pro Digital Editor Tom Bassam. Hello, Tom. Hello, Owen. Sports Pro CEO Nick Meacham. Hello, Nick. Hello, Owen. Good to be here with you. And the host of Sports Pro Live and the co host of the Offside Rule podcast, Kate Borsey. Hello, Kate. Hello, everyone. We are going to be hearing some uh, other voices from around the event um, in the rest of the podcast or later in the podcast, I should say. Um, but I just wanted to get some quick impressions from you guys what you've made of the last couple of days we've got about three hours of it left as we're talking but um and tom has his moment on stage with the dfl some quick takeaways and um lessons about the event experiences of being back in person at a, a conference like this kate um you've been on the main stage marshalling things for us there you've also done a couple of interviews as well with a, a rugby flavor um what have your impressions been of, of sports pro live 2022 First of all, what a great venue. I mean, we are sat in one of the old school wooden panelled rooms here at the Keir Oval looking out onto the stands. And that's, I think, made it even more special. I think I'm surprised about how big and how many rooms and anti-rooms the Oval has to start with. But we're in the Duchy Suite, which is um, which is the main sort of arena. And um, not only have I been hosting, but I've also been speaking to the RFU's Sue Day um, and also spoke to Ben Morrill of the Six Nations as well. Both really interesting chats, actually. I think Ben was quite open about where he sees rugby going and what his responsibility is. And, and, and also, I think people were really surprised to see just how much comes under the Six Nations umbrella now as well. And about the fact that that he said in the past, and, and I asked him about this, that it's like a dad trying to manage children sometimes when you talk about all the different international federations. And he talked about the need for diplomacy. It was as much about good ideas and organisation as it was about speaking to people and kind of making sure that those relationships were, were kind of really strong, no matter what the difference of opinion is or was. With the RFU Sue Day, quite a personal chat, different um, this one, and that it was about her career path. Um, and what an inspirational lady. She started playing rugby when she went on holiday to Spain randomly. She took it back to the UK, played for Wasps, uh, is now the CFO and the COO of the Rugby Football Union, the, the RFU. And um, and she talked about how much the game has changed so much, about how the game is aiming to be professional with a small p and what, what it needs to do to get professional with a big p. You know, How does it emulate something like the WSL in women's football? Um, but we also talked about inclusivity as well and diversity. And she said that it took 10 years for her to come out as a gay woman in her in the corporate world, in her working for KPMG. It took 10 years for her to come out to Wasps as a rugby player 
and then to come out within the professional workplace, which just shows you how much it's changed that she felt she had to keep it secret within a corporate workplace for 10 years. And she talked about the need to kind of keep sort of talking about that, but other forms of diversity as well, whether it's ethnicity or anything else, just the simply male, female, other. So I thought she was really, really inspiring, Sue. And I hopefully people walked away from that one kind of feeling quite buoyed by her story. Yeah. What's your impression of that? Obviously, you're coming into the industry slightly from one side as a, you know, as a broadcaster. What's your impression about that change that's happening um, in the sports industry, that move to make things a little bit more inclusive? What work do you think needs to go into encouraging greater diversity? Yeah, there's um, two sides. If we talk about um, about kind of men and men, women, other, there's, there's two sides. There's first of all, women's sports, and then there's also women working within the game, isn't there? And I think... Both have grown, arguably, I think women working in the game or working in sport has grown at a faster rate. We're we're probably in a better position than we thought we would be now compared to where we were 10 years ago. Women's sport's really interesting because it's because there are different stories for each sport. If you take a look at what's happening in women's football, we heard from Gary Hughes on day one um, about how they've basically smashed their targets when it comes to viewership of women's games and the WSL Sky Sports are the one of the broadcasters, um, the official rights holders for the WSL, 170% up on games that were previously on pay TV before Sky got the rights. And there are a few other stats banded around there that just made me think, my goodness me, even even he was surprised about how 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 popular it's become. So it feels like something like women's football's really got a foothold on the game now. There was another survey as well done by Sports Pulse that we heard from on, on day one. And they they surveyed people in the industry, sponsorship people, stakeholders and also consumers. And, and both those areas put women's sports at the top something that they'd like to see develop more and more investment in it so it feels like people want it and when you provide it people are lapping it up that's really significant for me because I think that's you know I mean honestly I've worked in women's sport for years on a kind of both sides having to push the game and working behind the scenes and that's really surprised me I think just how it feels like there's been a fundamental shift in the last year or so in terms of yes this is a commercial product it isn't just something that you'd sponsor because you think it's the right thing to do it's actually now commercially viable and we've got consumers asking for it yeah it's that growth opportunity but also in the case of the WSL coming up with a bespoke solution or a bespoke strategy uh, for pursuing that opportunity um just on the kind of uh, the women in sport or the women in the sports industry side of things you know what are your reflections on coming to an event like this which it can be quite striking when you come to a, an industry <laughs> event how diverse it isn't at times and this is probably something nick that i'll bring you in on as well i haven't felt that um i think maybe ethnic diversity still has to be worked on a little bit um i'm quite surprised by by how young the men are i'm not sure if it's because i'm getting older but there are no kind of sort of sort of um, male pale stale people in suits here it is all quite kind of it it kind of feels buzzy and sort of quite young and young and engaging that could partly be because i'm in my 40s but um but yeah um I think there have been a really that, that there's been a really good representation of women here. It's not 50-50, but we'd never sit here and pretend it was. But there are you are still seeing uh, a lot of women here and you're starting to see women women in more senior positions. So whereas you might have, you know, a woman in your team um or two or three women in your team, now you're starting to see women at kind of higher levels whether that's board level with Sue Day or whether it's someone like Lisa Parfit who's created her own sports marketing agency. So I was starting to see that more. Yeah. 
I mean, Nick, how do you reflect on that? This is, we're what, eight years on from the first Sports Pro Live. You know, how do you reflect on that progression, but also the challenge of creating a program that's, that's a little bit more diverse and that pushes for that inclusivity and also encouraging people to get more diverse groups of people here? Yeah, it's, it's constantly something we are trying to work on both internally, but also with the people we're approaching to get involved. So if we're talking to a, a rights holder or a team, we're actually asking them what senior female leaders they have to put forward for a role, even if you know they might have uh, different people that we want to approach, we want to make sure that the balance is front of mind for us to make sure that the agenda is a much more balanced playing field than they may actually represent what the industry looks like, if that makes sense. So the industry is probably still more balanced, more, much, much more skewed to um, male-led leaders in the, in the industry, but it is improving dramatically. And our goal, really, when we're doing this, is to try and make sure that we are over-indexing dramatically on relative um, ratio that, that, that exists for, from the women in the senior leadership roles across the industry. Um, and it, we are seeing a dramatic, dramatic improvement. We recently ran an event in the US around the OTT Summit USA. And what was really striking there is actually, uh, and typically, you know, we always say that US is, is ahead in a lot of ways um, from the business side anyway in sports. The, uh, we had near 50-50 representation there. And that thought, the thought process of being able to get to basically 50-50 was unthinkable uh, a few years ago, but equally because it's actually a tech-based event. So what we're seeing is actually, typically tech is even more male skewed than so the, so some of the sports space. But actually what the broadcasters and the media are doing in the US are really getting that balance right. Uh, or getting there anyway. They're not there yet, but they're getting much better. And so they're able to balance that representation much more than we've ever seen right now. And so that I think is very positive to see that is developing. Uh, UK wise and, and Europe is still much more male dominated. And so our team, people won't see it and hear it, but behind the scenes, we are constantly trying to work as hard as we can to make sure that balance is is more balanced than we than people would expect from the, the, the way that the industry is today. Tom, let's uh, let's pick up on some other strands maybe from around the event. What are, what are a couple of things that you noticed uh, coming out of the sessions in the last couple of days? Yeah, I actually kind of wanted to pick up on something that Kate talked about. So the, with the um, Sponsor Pulse uh, Family Fortune session that we did. And what struck me was actually that quite a lot of the responses were wrong, but that was based on <laughs> the fact that... No, the, re- the responses of the people being the, yeah, on the, the panel. Yeah. The responses not, of the people on the panel were wrong. People being That's surveyed. because I think they'd sat in the rooms all day and listened to what was, what was being talked about. And it, played, and it speaks to what Nick was saying about the sort of the way in which we um, organise these events and think about the content on stage. So there was like, the answer was, who is, like, the question might have been something like, who is the, uh, who's marketing their best events at, events at the moment? Tom's saying, women's six nations. And the thing is, like, from our perspective and the way we think about it, they are doing a great job. Like, they bring, they're doing, they're doing interesting things like bringing in TikTok and trying to engage in audiences in different ways. And actually the, the, the right answer was like the boring big uh, big organisations, the NFL, the NBA. But it was interesting to me, someone who'd sat in our events all days was leaving with those kind of impressions from the sessions. So, and that is encouraging from my perspective. Yeah, that was quite striking. It was, yeah, some of the work that maybe is, um, I don't want to say ahead of the curve, but, you know, that has, is trying to innovate and trying to outpace the, the wider industries is cutting through when you're hearing those conversations. Um, even if, as you said, the kind of the big monoliths are, still dominant um what else did you uh what else did you pick up on? 
I think again, stuff. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to say that Kate stole all my ideas, but uh, <laughs> 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 no. The, I mean, the two the two sessions that I really thought were most striking um, from day one, at least, were the the, the hundred session where they talked about sort of different approaches that they're taking to um, to that event, and especially engaging younger audiences and women and different audiences, and also the WSL stuff. But I've been picking up on the hundred. Um, I think they probably do deserve quite a lot of credit for the way that they've the, the way that they've gone about trying to complete com- completely rethink an event and some of the ex- like some of the little examples that um, Sanjay from the hundred was able to talk about just the the reactions that from he was seeing from people around the buses around the venues and all of those kind of things. I ticket think ticket sales just, after the ticket, yeah, after the first yeah, men's incredible. and women's event yeah. as well. You know, incredible take up. Yeah, and some of those and some of those sort of engagement numbers. I mean, we've we've reported on them on Sports Pro. Uh, since it's happened but I think some people still aren't quite aware because of the maybe the mainstream media narrative is all oh, the hundred this is something that's trying to uh, completely change cricket and take away from test matches and all of this kind of thing and actually like it's not they're just saying this is a different way of doing something and this is and we're trying to get a different audience here and they should kind of be they should be able to commend themselves for that because it is impressive yeah and we had uh, Reese Topley and, and Tash Farrant join in the evening yesterday and again it's, it is always um you know quite quite striking how the platform is the same obviously yeah. there are there that are that is parity right yeah. that is that is complete parity when you start your launch event with a women's game and then you follow it with a men's game but also because they are a new competition there's no stereotypes necessarily not i mean within cricket maybe but within that competition there's no underlying bias there and they are able to start afresh mm. with that. Yeah, and it will be interesting to see what they do here at the Oval. Steve Elworthy, who has been involved with the ECB delivering events uh, for many years uh, and was involved with the delivery of the first series of the 100, is the chief exec here. And he will be on Matt Rogan's podcast uh, next week. I was also in a session where I was I spoke to uh, the leadership team from the Rugby League World Cup, and they will be um, bundling together their three events uh, men's, women's and wheelchair rugby league um, in the autumn here in England. And they've got a fantastic story to tell. Hopefully we'll hear again from them very soon too. But I, it does seem to be that that is the direction of travel that you have to think about, um, you know, how to how to position your different types of events and your, um, you know, particularly your men's and women's events because that is becoming the expectation. Let's Let's finish, Nick, just talking about this event um, for a couple of minutes, what what were some of your ambitions for bringing Sports Pro Live back, and um, yeah, how do you feel it's gone? Well, I think I think you know, obviously, as a business, we cover this business of sport every day, um, and there is a lot going on in the space right now. And what we're hearing is there's a lot more questions than answers, and a lot more challenges than the industry's ever faced. It's an exciting time, but it's a really complex time. And so, for us, this event is supposed to help create at least a little bit more clarity for some of those sports properties to go, okay, this is what we should be prioritising or what we shouldn't, or this is a problem we're facing. Maybe this is a solution we can look at. And I, I do have to say that this year I am overwhelmed with talking to rights holders and they're like, yeah, we're really here to learn. We are seeing all these things happen. Lots of people talking to us. Some of them are throwing checks at us for, for certain opportunities and we're like, what is going on? We need to know whether we should be all in on this. Is this something? Is it nothing? Or is it everything? You know, we're talking about some 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 of the subject matter we're talking about, you know, the NFT world, the metaverse and stuff. 
that stuff is on everyone's radar just to go, what is it? And do we do something? And a lot of it is actually we're going to sit and wait, uh, which I think is really interesting. But a lot of people have moved quickly and so they're more sitting back and watching. So just us being able to present some examples of what is happening in that space and people going, okay, okay, now I get a bit of a better sense why people are doing them. What's the value proposition? What are the risks perhaps in doing some of those things? Um, and I think that's really important. That's the role we want to play, right? As a, as a content business that we are is to help people understand the industry better and what opportunities exist. The one other thing I have on the flip side of that is I'm still hearing some of the same macro challenges in the industry is that understanding the fan better, audience data. We know, haven't got the complete picture it's crazy that's still, um, you know, we've been talking about for years, three or four years, that's been a, a key component and everyone's expecting, you're hearing lots of companies saying, we've got that problem solved. Mm. No one I've spoken to says they're happy with where their, their situation is on understanding their audience. Why is that, do you think, Nick? Well, they're all the different data sources that we're, talk, we're pulling in from, whether it's through social media, whether it's through their own owned and operated platforms um, or through third party, they're all presenting different types of information and some of them they're able to access and some aren't. And also even things like Apple's changes in data regulations are making it more complex for people to get a picture of their audience. Um, and so all these these nuances are just making it really, really complex. And there's some people, great people trying to fix that problem, but it is every single writer I spoke to is saying, we're really wanting, we're working hard to get a better picture of our, our fan base. So yeah, interesting that we're still sitting on that years later. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, it's something that, that does change every time. And a lot of these things, you know, you have improvements rather than solutions. You, you, you're just kind of constantly grappling with what is always going to be a changing problem because media keeps changing and behaviour keeps changing. And obviously the other thing here that we're seeing constantly is every major sports property and not so major is trying to go direct to consumer in some way, shape or form. And that in itself is just creating all sorts of challenges because you've now got to be able to market not only your property, but you've also got to sell to them. And actually fans aren't as willing to throw money at some of these things that they, they were expecting. So that, that coupled with the data piece is why, why they're so focused on getting more data is they want to sell more actively to these audiences and obviously build fandom. But it's, becoming, it's much more complicated than I think everyone expected. Okay, well, how are we going to see um, some of that reflected in, in 23, do you think? What, what are, what's, what's percolating uh, nothing percolating specifically other than there's a lot, there's going to be a lot more change in this industry. I mean, look, we're talking about again, NFTs and metaverse and a year ago that wasn't on the radar. So who knows what will be in a year from now? Will those topics be off the radar? Will they be more prominent? Um, what we're trying to do with this event particularly is, is to try to touch all those key, those key touch points that the sports world has with fans, particularly through digital uh, and yeah, your guess is as good as mine. What, what that's going to look like in, in a year's time. All right. Okay, guys, um, it's been fun. And we have uh, a few more people to bring into the podcast, but um, we'll leave it there for this part. Uh, thank you to Nick Meacham. Thank you, Owen. To Tom Basson. Thanks, everyone. And to Kate Borsey. Thank you. And uh, yeah, we'll be back just after this. On the subject of a few of those challenges outlined in the first part of the pod there, I spoke to Matt Rogan, SportsPro Senior Contributor and the man behind the Playbook series, and Vicky Gosling, who is CEO of GB Snowsport, among other roles. They reflected on some of the changes sports organisations are trying to drive through just now and on the value of getting back to in-person events. Vicky Gosling, CEO of GB Snowsport and SportsPro Senior Contributor Matt Rogan. 
Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast, the Sports Pro Live. The two of you have been on a panel um, about the role of a CEO in, in 2022, which is Matt's next podcast, so we won't preempt that too much. Have you found that your perspective on this kind of conference and the value of this kind of conference yeah. has changed? Yeah, absolutely. I think you cannot um, underestimate the value of actually being in person. I think what we're finding is that events such as this are becoming more popular again because actually having the opportunity to collaborate in person and just catching somebody's eye and networking or listening to what they have to say. I think there's too much temptation when you're sat on a Zoom effectively to go and get your cup of tea or switch off or switch out and actually miss some real key nuggets. Whereas when you're in person, there's nothing quite like that you know the eye contact the, the listening the power of the listening and actually being in at the same room with people of you know who are probably quite driven by the same purpose and and sharing of values matt what's your impression been so far i've thoroughly enjoyed it for all the same reasons i've done two sessions today i had the uh, session with vicky steve elworthy and, and ben morell uh and just finished actually with tom b and the chief exec historian um Looking out at the end of something like that, just seeing a, a sea of faces still engaged, people standing up at the back, listening in, a few smiles, a few jokes along the way. Like as much as we try as hard as we can on pods, you, you don't get the same level of interactivity. Uh, and, and as a result, probably don't quite get the same level of learning. So it's, it's been fantastic. And, and some slight nuances on the content, I think as well. I, I sat in a fantastic session delivered by Control Risks, for example, talking about just the importance of, of understanding and mitigating risk in your business model. And I'm not sure we'd have seen that two years ago. So we're, pro- we're probably both a, um, a more serious industry than we were two years ago. But we're also, like, there's been a lot of fun along the way today as well. Mm. You know, you, you spoke about uh, Castor and, and you've been talking about leadership. And you, you've also just wrapped on the CEO playbook project in the last few weeks. You know, you had your conversation with Mike on that quite recently. Do you think that there is anything kind of materially different for a business that's starting in sport now in 2022 from perhaps a pre-pandemic time, leaving aside the obvious, <laughs> you know, conditions of, of working in that period? Yeah, I think the main things, are pro- there's probably two. Uh, and in some ways, uh, they might traditionally have been at the opposite ends of a, a chief exec's comfort level, and maybe not even on the comfort level. So on one extreme, you've got... We talked about in our session, uh, need to manage your balance sheet actively, need to think about long-term financial sustainability, think about cash, think about inflation rates, think about interest rates. You know, I've talked about all those two things in, in my sessions today and, and you know, barely talked about those, frankly, two years ago. Um, that's not COVID specifically, but it's part of that whole jigsaw puzzle. Um, and at the other end of the spectrum, uh, for, to trail the pop when it comes out, you know, Vicky and Ben and Steve all talk really compellingly about weaving together things that actually work in the EDI space, not just for the talent on the pitch, but the talent in the offices that lead the businesses as well. And so um, they'd be the two things, I think. So broader awareness and understanding of making things happen rather than talking about them in the EDI space. Um diversity, inclusion, understanding the ethnic mix of your audience base and your athlete base. Um, and then, frankly, being able to manage your way out of your own balance sheet. Vicky, you wear various different hats as well as heading up GB Snow Sport. What kind of um, effect does that have on, on how you'd approach uh, a networking opportunity like this? 
It's really helpful, actually, um, because of the different hats that I do wear. I can jump from a conversation about the fintech and the and the, the app that we're just creating and actually what that can do for understanding people better in terms of financial awareness into actually, um, you know, the overarching piece, bit sitting on the, um, the BOA uh, as a board member and then, you know, running a, a national governing body. It's really helpful because you do have the ability to interact at different levels with different people with different interests. But you do come back to common ground in terms of, okay, how do you get these, uh, you know, how do you get the next gen into the sports? How do you support elite sports financially and sustainably for this country? We're really proud of our sport. We want it to succeed. How do we best fund it? How can we be innovative and in how we create those, you know, um, the funding streams really? And also, how do we lead in this space, particularly given the demands, given the next gen, given what we're operating within. And you just have to look. I mean, another hat that I have is is with Invictus Games. You know, I helped sort of set that up and then became the chief exec and took it to America as a CEO. Now I'm very much, I have a strategic advisor role hat on, looking at what does that look like? Now we got to a stage where we were looking at who was competing and who was coming to the party and what was its utility. It was set up to show the power sport and recovery, for example, and raise awareness of the armed forces. Now, it couldn't be more relevant because of the fact we've got Ukraine on the doorstep. People didn't expect that to happen. That suddenly put it back into people's minds, the importance of actually catering and looking after our servicemen and women through the power of sport. So all of these hats that I wear tend to bizarrely interface at at some point or other. And, And actually your network just grows massively. I think it then just comes down to timing. Yeah, and so we've, we've a way to go yet, but what have you found so far in terms of the the serendipity or, you know, the creativity that comes from, again, compared to a remote event? I think spontaneity is definitely key. You know, spontaneity and spark and actually and seeing people with, you know, again, as I said, a concept of values. In fact, it was interesting. I was, I was literally just um, stood with Matt and he was introducing me to a couple of people. And then straight after that, somebody came over from Global Sports, I think, and he said... I know, you know, you, are you looking to advertise a role? We've just had a, you know, we've just had a connection. And, and I said, oh my God, I've never seen what you look like and never put a, a face to you. And we were able to talk about how his um, job board works, for example. And that's great. Whereas I didn't really, I probably kind of listened partially in a Zoom call, but didn't absorb everything that he was saying. And then having had that conversation, A, his face now rings a bell and I can, I feel like I know the person that's, you know, on the other side of it. I'm probably going to be more committed about how we're going to do that piece of work. So I don't think you can underestimate that. Yeah. We've had the time away and now I suppose, you know, in, over the last few months, you've seen the sports industry presenting itself again to one another. What would you change? Where, where do you think the change needs to happen over the next few years? What, where, where is there still progress to be made? I think there's progress to be made everywhere, if we're honest, because everything's consistently evolving. Um, and just, you know, when you look at the new sports coming online, whether it's esports or whether it's, you know, new sports coming into the Olympics and and actually um, just in general, where are we excelling? Where do we need more support? How do we get more youngsters participating in sport? We've seen the power of sports. So I think it's, it's more a case of just understanding for us when you say what's going to happen in the next few years. It's probably 
really understanding the generation, the next generation, what do the, you know, what makes them tick? How do we support them? How do we create uh, world-class performance? How do we also improve our grassroots and take down barriers and create more inclusion and acceptable, you know, create it so that actually people feel it's acceptable, irrelevant to where you come from or background to take part in something that actually catches your eye. And of, of course, funds, if you're looking at the more expensive sport, funds will always come into that. So how do, what do we do collectively to look at how we take these barriers down? Because where there's a will, there's a way. And I think there's an awful lot of people out there that want to support and get involved. And if they can find something that actually they can see, and I think Matt's point of, it's an awful lot of people that say they want things to happen. It's an awful lot of people that want it to happen or talk about it happening, but you need the people to make it happen. And it's taking the springboard into making that actually happen and then it it grows from there particularly when you're surrounded by people who want to make things happen and I think in this environment you probably find quite a few of those that was Matt Rogan and Vicky Gosling you'll be able to hear from them again as mentioned on the playbook podcast next week and you'll be able to get that wherever you found this now One of the central responsibilities for all of us in the next decade is going to be the imperative to live more sustainable lives. The climate crisis and other social changes are going to demand as much. And Sports Pro Live 2022 has been run to recognise that in several aspects of its operation, from menu choices to a tree planting initiative by Play It Green. But how can the sports industry go further? Well, I caught up with... Sam Shave, co-managing director of social impact and sustainability consultancy Think Beyond, to get his reaction to what he's seen here and explain what comes next. Great to have you with us. What have your impressions of Sports Pro Live been? What have you been up to here? Yeah, really interesting. Great to be back to a live event. Um, and uh, it's been some, some really interesting sessions. I think it's, it's obviously good to see people back in 3D and and from my perspective great to see that sustainability which I know we'll talk a little bit more about but is sort of a, a leading a leading issue that we're we're talking about here today. Well yeah, I mean it's been foregrounded. It is literally the first thing that people encountered when they arrived yesterday. They were given a questionnaire about their sustainable practices on the way in, whether they'd taken public transport and um, what their clothes were made out of, which was a new one, and a tree planted for each each positive answer they gave in that survey. So up to up to four per attendee. Um, what did you make of that? What have you made of, of some of those choices? Uh, all plant-based food served here, and uh, including at the VIP dinner, I think, as well yesterday, which um, people who are used to getting their kind of their choice cuts of meat will have had to adjust to. But it's been it's been quite it's been quite nice. I, th- I think it's great. I think it's apart from the side of things where I had to say, "Is it sustainable clothing?" I said, "Well, no, it's a fifteen-year-old jacket." I'm not sure if that counts, but. Um, but look, I think it's great. I mean, you know, part of this still is about education, you know, and, and actually ultimately, um, you know, what we're aiming for here is behavior change and behavior change in, in, in broader life. And, you know, when you go home and you think about these things and all these sort of small and um, what's what seem like quite small bits and pieces, you know, enter, kind of coming across it when you come to the event, just help people to start thinking about their daily lives. And OK, so what am I doing? You know, have I got a reusable water bottle? Um, so it all really helps. And I, I think, you know, Sports Pro as a platform enables you to, to have that that voice and actually that voice to the industry to say, just start having this conversation, start thinking about what you are doing. So, um, you know, it's it's great to see it. I think the, the vegan food is good. And yeah, it's interesting. I'm sure some people are thinking, well, hang on a minute, where's my steak? But, you know, ultimately, your sort of impact as a as an event is pretty small in the, in the grand scheme of things. But ultimately, it's about, okay, 
Um, what message are you sending? And then what education piece are you doing that enables people to think about it a bit more broadly in their everyday lives? How does that expand out to the rest of the sports industry? I mean, we're here at the Kia Oval. They've, they've got a pretty good track record on, on some of these things themselves. They've tried to get rid of single-use plastics and they've uh, done some greening on the outside of the building and all that type of stuff. But again, even the impact of a single cricket match here, even a five-day game, is going to be small in the context of everything else that's going on in, in London in a, you know, on a day-to-day basis. So what, what is the role of sport in that context? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I think whenever we have this, these discussions with rights holders, you know, absolutely, it's about getting your own house in order. You know, first and foremost, right, okay, what are we doing as, a, as an organisation, as a, as, a, as a rights holder? But then having done that, it's about saying, okay, what's our platform, right? And what's our plan? And we all know that's, you know, that's what sport brings. It brings this passion point. And ultimately, it's the same for sustainability. And it's about saying, okay, how can we use our platform, use our, um, the passion that we, that we bring for fans to enable that behavior change? And ultimately, it's about that behavior. So whether it's, again, thinking about, okay, I've got to take uh, public transport on my way to the game, or whether it's about using your athletes. How are you using your athletes to talk about this kind of thing? You know, so in many ways, it really is about, yes, absolutely, kind of getting that, that own house in order, but ultimately about what's your platform, what's your voice, and how are you using that to really shift the dial and shift behaviour change for fans? Mm. And then how do, you, how do you quantify that? How do you plan around that? How do you kind of audit all of that stuff? Yeah, so, you know, I mean, without getting into lots of reams and reams of detail over measurement and evaluation and all sorts of bits and pieces, but, you know, ultimately, if you can create a clear plan and a, a, a clear plan of action around your, um, around your sustainability strategy, um, you know, there is then measurement opportunities around that. And every point, you know, whether it's six months, whether it's yearly, to say, okay, where are we on that journey? You know, and, and, and that journey point is really important as well, because ultimately, you know, we're not here to suggest that, okay, everyone should be carbon neutral now, bang. Right. That is not that is not realistic. So actually, it really is about how we how we on that journey, how we knowing that we are improving regularly. Um, And then ultimately, yeah, what can we do around our engagement of fans and our education of fans? Um, Whether that's, you know, looking at them again yearly and and judging, well, um, do our fans know more? Do they recognize that we're doing this? Do they have they made any changes in their own lives? So, um, you know, it's it is about kind of setting out that strategy, setting out that plan and then really making sure that you're you're understanding how you're um, how you're measuring against that kind of on a, a six monthly yearly basis. Yeah. Now, obviously, as you mentioned at the top, we've been away from Sports Pro Live being an in-person event for a couple of years. A lot of rights holders will have been holding more limited versions of their own events and will have changed workflows and stuff like that. What has that done through, you know, based on the conversations you've had with clients and partners, what's that done to people's attitudes towards their sustainable practices? Has there been an opportunity to reset or has everyone kind of had to, you know, prioritise other things and, and, no, and get I, back I, on with it? I think if anything, it's, 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 you know, brought it really to the top of the agenda even more so. I think it was probably getting there a couple of years ago, but I think, you know, now it's, it's absolutely... You know, someone was telling me that they'd, they'd done a, a survey recently and it was it was the very top of, of you know, the issues that um, execs are looking at these days. And But I think the other really interesting piece around this is, um, you know, we're talking about sustainability and sometimes it's a, it's tricky to say, well, we can't do that. You know, it's it's difficult. How can we do it? We don't have the funds. We don't have the person in place. Actually, if anything, what the COVID has shown us is that, you know, the immediacy of impact drives innovation. So actually, if we can de- demonstrate that, and we know that this is a, an immediate issue facing the facing the planet, 
So actually, you know, how do we innovate around sustainability? How do we drive change and, and really understand that um, actually saying no to something or, or we can't quite manage that, that's only true if you stop yourself from doing it. So I think that, you know, COVID has really shown that change can happen extremely quickly if it needs to. And that immediacy and that urgency is probably something that needs to be now you know, pushed towards sustainability as well, I'd say. Okay, and let's bring it back to the scale of an event like this. Other events are available and, and their organisers might be listening to the podcast. What would you like to see? What steps can be taken beyond what we've seen uh, in the last couple of days here to, to make these kind of conferences more sustainable? Yeah, look, I think, you know, some of the things you've, you've talked about are, are great. And I think, you know, vegan food, making sure that, um, I would say going the next stage with your suppliers and your partners. So actually, okay, where are you, how are you working with, you know, essentially your supply chain to say, right, what are you doing? And making sure that you go and, you know, that second stage to say, well, we want to make sure that every single partner of ours also has a sustainability strategy in place. I think there's probably an even bigger education piece that you can do for your, for attendee. I'm not saying yours necessarily, but for events and attendees, you know, is actually, okay. Um, you know, how are we suggesting, well, here are a couple of things you can do in your daily lives and, and that's something they can take away. So, um, you know, I think there's there's all sorts of sort of bits and pieces. I think this has been a really good first step. And the other piece I'd just sort of talk about briefly, I suppose, is the, the, the social side of sustainability. We talk a lot about the environmental side of things, and, and that's absolutely fundamental. But actually, how is the local community being involved? How are we, you know, who is attending these events? How are we ensuring that, um, you know, the sort of diversity of people attending is, is really as strong as it possibly can be? So, Yes, it's about, of course, the environment and is that absolutely fundamental, but let's also think about sustainability in the broadest sense as well. Okay, there's the challenge. Thanks very much for your time, Sam. Thanks, Owen. Finally, we've got a bit of time for something really quite different. Elena Razzano is a business application engineer for the European Space Agency, working with businesses to help them find use cases for and integrate technologies developed in space. They've been turning their attention to the sports industry and Elena was on stage at Sports Pro Live as part of the big idea strand of the agenda, discussing the possibilities for innovation that might lie ahead. I asked her to tell us a little bit more. So the European Space Agency is a governmental institution that promotes the use of space uh, and the exploration of space for specific purposes. We are based in Europe and we have 22 member states. Uh, we are not identified with the European Union, though. We are an independent institution. Of course, we cooperate and we have a lot of work together, but we are mainly known because we send satellites in space or we explore space and astronauts, but we also have uh, teams dedicated to promoting the use of space and space technology on Earth. Uh, and that's where um, I work on. So uh, I work on a in a team that is called Space Solutions that is focused on how space assets, as we call them, so technologies or data coming from space or mm, communication based uh, via satellite can uh, be used on commercial applications on Earth. Uh, sport is one of the sectors that we address. Of course, b Focusing on a technology, we co cover all the industries, but uh, sport is one that we find very fascinating and where we want to um, understand more what is the value that space can bring. What are some of the contexts in which you're applying some of these technologies at the moment or you're seeing industries apply some of these technologies? I mean, people are familiar with 
you know, GPS or satellite imaging or, or what have you. But um, where else are, are we seeing innovation at the moment? Um, well, we span uh, activities from agriculture, like precision farming, up to energy uh, for the implementation of renewable energies. Everything that is related to connectivity from, let's say, broadband or broadcasting uh, services up to uh, connectivity of IoT devices, for example. We also um, cover industries like mining. So we really go from very small activities up to, of course, transport is another one. We work a lot autonomous vehicles, drones, rail also. Um, so we have different applications in which we can offer a support. From, from images from space, you can also cover a lot of needs in terms of environment uh, um, analysis and, and monitoring. Yeah, So it's really a wide um, uh, area of uh, applications. Yeah, and, and what's the nature of, um, of the work you do in terms of integrating some of those technologies into, uh, into businesses, ordinary workflows or kind of trialing stuff or what? How, how do you how are you um, working with partners in that way? Well, the main um, activities that we do is to provide funding for companies that will actually develop the solution. The solutions that we look for in my team are uh, a, aimed to commercial uh, um, exploitation. So that's the key point. But yeah, in principle, they can come to us with an idea uh, anytime and then we go through a selection process or we identify some specific mm, teams and, and thematic domains and then we work with a partner that can be an institution or a big stakeholder that help us in understanding the needs in terms of innovation and um, so the, the call for proposals that we publish is shaped on real needs of the sector or of the partner that we choose. So we, we support the companies. They are actually doing the, the, the hard work, <laughs> but uh, they, they're quite good. So Yeah. Now you, uh, here on day two, you were presenting a big idea. You were one of the, um, one of the people who came forward um, to discuss something that could maybe break open new solutions in the sports industry. What was the, what was the outline of, of what you talked about on stage here? Um, well, uh, I wanted to inspire and, and give real food for thoughts for a, a new way to innovate that includes space, of course. Many times space and sport um, are linked to well-known things like extreme um, environment conditions, like high temperature or high speed. Uh, so there are some uh, cross-contaminations between some very specific sports and space, or the astronaut training as, a, as an athlete point of view. But actually what is not well known is the potential that all the space assets can bring for a more digitalized business, a more sustainable business, a more ubiquitous business, because space, many applications of space are... are uh, covers the whole world because uh, GPS is the same everywhere or images are taken everywhere. So once you have developed a solution that integrates it, you can apply it anywhere. 
So I presented a few cases of um, success stories that we have of companies that uh, work in the sport industry, going from the delivery of services for funds or for for participants to events up to companies that are developing or are selling devices or wearable which are customized for a specific sport, as well as applications for amateurs more, uh, but related to outdoor sports, also for the safety of the people. So I tried to present some cases um, and also I wanted to show that uh, this is possible. This brings higher revenues, so these companies are actually successfully growing and and also, um, well, somehow call the, the attendees to action because in a few months we will probably release some new opportunities that are related to sport. There are the Olympics coming on. So there are a lot of activities that can bring innovation in sport. How are you going to be approaching sport as a as an industry in the in, in the years ahead? How are you going to be developing the internal capacity you have to work with organizations in sport? Well, we are in contact with different organizations right now. Um, I mentioned the Olympics. We are um, talking uh, at a higher level to understand their needs. We are really getting into understanding the different elements of, of the sports. It's a, it's a complex sector because it touches so many different areas. Even an event, it, it, it implies actually all the other industries <laughs> somehow to provide services. So, well, that is an advantage because we already know the other industries, so we can start from it. Uh, but yeah, we are deal- we, we are talking with, with many companies trying to really get the right knowledge. Um, and the other thing is when we work with, specifically when we invest in some solutions, um, we always ask the companies to bring a potential customer with them. So in this way, we also secure that there is an actual interest uh, uh, from the market. It's not uh, um, a nice idea, but with, nobody will buy. Just turning it around, you know, what have your impressions been of the event and has it given you any any kind of inspiration about what areas might be um, interesting ones for you to work in? Uh, going forward well the event uh, is is very nice for me it, it it's been a very interesting and, and very helpful i i had a chance to talk with uh, many people that was really good i get that really there is a a, um, a huge investment in all the fun engagement and and the work towards the fun uh, i think this also implies um, all the changes and the the Difficulties that have been in the last few years that probably are now <laughs> getting again to the to the um, actual work. Um, I I've also been positively impressed by the commitment I've seen uh, on sustainability by many many people here, um, which is always a bit difficult to achieve. But it it was good to to see um, such an interest and such an um, aim. Yeah. Yeah. Well, plenty of possibilities with apologies. Watch this space um, in the in the years to come. Elena, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
Okay, that'll do it for this Sports Pro podcast from Sports Pro Live 2022. A big thank you to all of our guests. Should note as well that you'll be hearing more from the event on the podcast over the next few weeks or so. Thanks to all of our delegates and our partners too over the past couple of days and to our hosts here at the Kia Oval who've given us such a lovely setting to work in. And most importantly, thanks to all of you for listening. The Sports Pro podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. We will be back with you again very soon. Bye-bye.